Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. One of the things that's really popular at Christmas that uh, people really get into is nativity sets, right? And uh, I actually got one for, for this evening because I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, and surprisingly, I had to ask around for it because we don't have one in our house, which people were surprised. They're like, you're the pastor of the church. Like, you don't have I, I don't know. We, don't, we, are, we are O for nativity sets in, the, in our house. I don't know why. Um, but uh, I started looking online at, at different kind of nativity sets, and people go nuts with these things and really like... I mean, you know the basics that should be in there. People have, have come up with nativity sets under all sorts of themes for, I guess, all sorts of personalities. I wanted to show you a couple of them. First off, there's this one, uh, a nativity set with all, all cats, which I think, I, it's, it creeps me out a little bit. I think the anthropomorphic cat thing is a little weird, and I think you have a weird future ahead of you if you have this in your home. Like, I'm just going to say, this, this, this only goes downhill from here if this is your nativity set. Um, the, of course, not to be outdone, there is a dog nativity set, uh, which is, you know, for the dog people, and I, I, I appreciate that. Um, I think I would struggle with this being my nativity set because I would always walk by it, and I would want to say, who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? Which is not what you say to a nativity set. It doesn't fit exactly at all. Um, there's an Irish nativity set. Uh, there it is. Um, which is really cool. Um, I don't think it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think it's like gold, clover, and Guinness, uh, which is also maybe would have been great. Uh, that's kind of a, a cool thing. And then there's also um, this minimalist nativity set. How about that? Right? I, I feel like Marie Kondo would love this. This is like, doesn't that spark joy in you? Like, it's just like the simple, modern, you know, so there it is. And, and so there's a bunch of them. I, we could do this all day. You can, like, Google for fun sometimes, like, crazy nativity sets. There's, like, Frankenstein, and there's zombie ones, and there's just all this stuff uh, when we're trying to improve on the original nativity set. And I just want to talk about it because that scene that we all imagine of the nativity of uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and there's wise men and shepherds and all of the things, uh, that scene there, um, I I think it's actually relevant to us today. I know it happened thousands of years ago, the first Christmas that we're celebrating tonight. Um, but But there's something there that I think is highly relatable. The different people that are there on the scene um, I think we could relate to them. And, and so I want to I talk about the different people. Number one, um, the shepherds were there. And the shepherds were, in their culture, the shepherds were outcasts. Now, I wanted to uh, show you the shepherds, but this nativity set doesn't have a shepherd. Um, we have an animal here, some sort of cow, and for whatever reason, R2-D2 is here. Um, but no shepherd. So R2-D2 will have to fill in as my shepherd for this evening. Um, but the idea that the shepherds in their culture were very much outcasts in society. Um, they, they, uh, there's, a, there's some information about what shepherds were like in that day and age. Uh, shepherds were usually young men, uh, teenagers, maybe a little bit older. And um, because they kind of hung out outside all the time and had to take care of animals, that's sort of a, a low-class, undesirable job. They smelled, often smelled kind of bad because they were with animals all the time. Um, they were considered to be uh, liars, uh, 
uh, un, not trustworthy. They couldn't testify in court. They were also, um, you would not buy something from a shepherd if they were trying to sell you something because the idea was that if they have it, they probably stole it because they're out all these hours of the night and that kind of thing. So um, shepherds were very much in their day and age looked at like they were outcasts, like they were not the cool kids. They were not, they were not popular. And, and I was trying to think about in our culture today, um, who would who would fit that role of an outcast? Who, who in society are the modern-day shepherds? I don't know that we have anyone that we look downly, down upon as badly as, as, as the shepherds were, um, but there's, there's maybe some options in the modern day. Um, Alan Jacobs, in his book called How to Think, he talks about the idea of there being a, an RCO, which stands for Repugnant Cultural Other. A repugnant cultural other. So whatever sort of your cultural background is, it's possible you have another group of people that you would look at them and go, ooh, I don't want to be like them. Those are the bad people. And unfortunately, in our culture, we're, we're coming up with all sorts of candidates to be the outcasts, right? All sorts of people that were like, ooh, I don't want to be like those people, those whatever, right? Those Republicans, those Democrats, those atheists, those evangelicals, those vaxxers, those anti-vaxxers, like whatever the thing is, there's that other group of, of outcasts. And I think the shepherds were a lot like that. And, and maybe today, uh, the way you feel is a little bit like an outcast. Maybe you feel like a spare part, like you don't exactly fit in, like you just can't find your people. That's probably how the shepherds felt um, and, and as they were kind of doing their shepherd thing, but then God showed up to them and, and reveals himself and reveals Jesus to them. Listen to it, the way it's written about in Luke chapter two, it says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Why? Because every time an angel shows up in the Bible, they tell people not to be afraid. Because when you see an angel, you freak out. This is just what happens. So fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So that's the shepherds. They're, they're the outcasts. And they, God shows up to them, speaks to them directly. An angel speaks to them and says, and, and say, go find Mary and Joseph and this baby. You'll see them lying in a manger, which would have been a weird thing to be kind of in this animal trough for a, a baby to be, to be born. Um, so there are other people at the nativity, in the typical nativity set that I want to tell you about. Um, the second group I want to talk about are the wise men. Uh, let me read it to you from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, a typical nativity scene has uh, wise men in it. These guys are like, I don't know if you can see these well, these guys are like twins. And then we have this other wise man who's kneeling down with a box of something or other. Uh, and, and, as, and you go on to read that they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A couple things about the wise men. First off, um, we don't know that there were three of them. We just know that there were three gifts. So 
uh, people like to give names to these guys, and, and, and it's kind of the legendary stuff. Oh, these three white, we three kings, and all that kind of stuff. There may have been 30 of them. We don't know. And maybe they, the 30 of them, they all pitched in to get the gifts. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, can we just pass the hat? All right, do we have enough to get some gold, some frankincense, some myrrh? Fine. And so, they, they, so these wise men. But the thing that probably bothers me the most in nativity scenes, the way we do it, is the wise men are not here. They don't show up for two more years. So they don't belong in this story. I just want, to, want everyone to be clear about it. So if you have a nativity at home and you have wise men, put them over here because they're on their way. They're, they have not gotten there yet. They're coming to Jerusalem. They're coming to Bethlehem to see. They're not going to get there for two years. So they are not in the story. Nonetheless, they are told in the whole Christmas thing. And I think what is interesting about the wise men and, and the way I would describe them is they're seekers. They're looking for something. They're looking at the stars, trying to figure out what God is doing. They're trying to figure out what's happening in the world. And they see this star and they, they follow it to go find Jesus. Um, they are, as, as near as we can tell for people like them, they are uh, wealthy, they're very intelligent. Um, in some ways, you'd say they're successful, they're sort of philosophical, um, and they're looking and trying to find God. They're seeking Him. And I think that's a, um, a, really, a really cool thing. And even though they were wealthy and intelligent and, and maybe successful, that does not fulfill them like it so often doesn't. Having, having the things you wish you got, you know, it doesn't fulfill you. The, they, they are still seeking something else. And I, and I like them because I think that describes a lot of us in our culture. Um, we, are, we are seekers. We're looking for something. I think everybody in this room is looking for uh, two things, intimacy and impact. Intimacy and impact. You are, you are looking for um, people to connect with, and, and, and relationships, the intimacy there, and you're looking for impact. You're looking to do something and be a part of something um, that, that makes a difference. Um, and, and, and some of us feel that very strongly, and we're seeking things. We're seeking wealth. We're seeking success. Or maybe you have those things, and you still find yourself seeking. Jim Carrey, the actor, uh, very successful, right? He, he said this, I think everyone should get rich and famous, and do everything they think they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And I'm like, oh, okay, sign me up, Jim Carrey. How do I, I'll, I'll try. Like, let me, let me at least give it a shot and find out for myself that it's not the answer, but I think there's something there. We're, many of us are seekers. Maybe you've gotten what you wanted. Maybe right now your life is what you wanted it to be. It's working out basically how you wanted it to go, and maybe still you realize that that ain't it. You're still striving. You're still seeking. I love people who are seeking. Honestly, these are my people, people who walk into a church building going, I don't know if I believe in this. I don't know if I care about this. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, I'll give it a shot. Like, I love that spirit of like, man, just Give it a whirl. See, see if it works. Seek something. People who are hungry. People who are willing to take an honest look at their lives and say, man, I don't know if this is it, and I want to get real about who I am and what I want. Um, I think if there's any positives from the last couple years of COVID and all that's kind of swirled around in culture, one positive that I see, and you may not see it this way, but I'll just give you from my perspective, one positive I see is I think we have had a glimpse and had a better understanding of how empty our institutions are all across the board, how the things that provide certainty and meaning just don't provide either. 
And, and COVID has kind of pulled the mask back on that and helped us to realize that things we rely on aren't necessarily the things we can rely on, that certain institutions can't be trusted, that we've been lied to, that the emperor has no clothes. And so we find ourselves, okay, what do I do with that? We're still seeking. I, and and we're, we're pursuing, I think we're pursuing God. Our, our pursuits look like a pursuit of sex and money and power and, and, and career and all of these things. But at the end of the day, all of those things are pursuits of God. We're trying to find something deeper, more, better in life. We are longing for transcendence. I love uh, psychologist and counselor Kurt Thompson. He says this, we all come into the world looking for someone looking for us. Isn't that true? We all come into this world, we're searching for someone who's searching for us. And that's true of people that we, we, we want to find someone who wants to find us. But I think it's also true of our relationship with God. We are searching for him in, in our search for all the other things. So the wise men are seekers. The next, the next one I want to tell you about is uh, Joseph. Joseph in the story, Joseph um, in the Christmas story, he kind of plays like a minor part, right? Like, we know about Joseph, there's a little bit, there's some backstory there that we get on this guy, but he's, he's more like an adoptive dad. So if, if Jesus is Mary and then God is the father, then Joseph's just kind of sitting in there and raise, going to raise this kid who's, you know, not actually his own. And, and um, Joseph was um, uh, pretty puzzled by by this whole situation. Mary comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. They're engaged. Mary comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. And he's like, uh, wait a second. Like, as you would, you know, you're like, well, it's not my kid. What are you doing? You know, and so he makes up his mind to divorce her. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. And, and God intervenes even with Joseph. Matthew chapter one, listen to this. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. And then what do angels say when they show up? Don't be afraid. It's Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And God intervenes in a big way because what Joseph probably felt, and this is what many of us can relate to, Joseph probably felt trapped. Joseph felt trapped. This is not the life he signed up for. He fell in love with this girl. We're going to get married. Nice Jewish couple in Nazareth. Like they got a whole plan of how their life's going to unfold. And then all of this happens and he's trapped. What am I supposed to do now? Now an angel has told me I need to stick it out with Mary and, and raise this child that's not mine. It's, it's weird. He feels trapped. And I wonder if you've ever felt trapped. You ever feel trapped now? Do you feel trapped in, um, in a career? That you're like, man, I signed up for this, but I don't, I'm not into this anymore. And yet I got to still do it because it's like the only thing they'll pay me for and the only thing I know how to do, right? You feel trapped. Maybe you feel trapped in a marriage that there's struggle there. There's, you feel like, oh man, I don't know if we love each other like we used to, um, and, but what can I do? I, I, I don't want to leave. I don't think I can leave. Maybe... Maybe you feel trapped when you're dating someone. Sometimes, like, you can date someone for a long time and you just sort of feel stuck there. Like, you think this isn't really going to work out, but you've already got a lot of time, months, years into it, and it feels like a sunk cost kind of thing. Like, I already put all this investment in this. I don't know that I can give this up. And you feel a little bit trapped. Maybe another word for trapped, though, is the word addicted. 
Um, we, are, we are stuck on something or someone or some substance or something, and we have to have it, and we, and we can't get out. Uh, author Stanton Peel uh, writes this, the difference between not being addicted and being addicted is the difference between seeing the world as your arena and seeing the world as your prison. For a lot of us, um, when we are trapped, when we are addicted, um, it can feel like a prison. It can feel like I, I can't escape this thing. I'm stuck here and I can't move. There's no walls or guards that are keeping me here, but still I can't get out. And, and I gotta think that Joseph, to some degree, felt that way, like trapped, like, man, I'm part of this thing and I don't know why. This is just so weird. Last person uh, of, of, the, of some of the main characters here that I want to talk about is Mary. So um, Mary gets a lot, of, um, a lot of publicity, right? Mary, Mary's PR is very good. She's, uh, a, there's a lot of stories about her, a lot of things written about her. And in this whole thing, she's a, she's a key player in the whole drama, right? She's giving birth to a child. Motherhood is, is wonderful. What she's doing um, is, is, is wonderful. And, um, and we often admire Mary for her courage and her obedience to God and, and being scared and yet going along with what God was telling her. But I think, um, and I don't have to read too far between the lines, I, I think Mary was confused. I think Mary felt very confused. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But understatement of the year, listen to this. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, like angels do, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary, with a solid first century grasp on the reproductive system, says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's a fair question to ask an angel. What are you doing, God? So Mary is um, a, a bit afraid and pretty confused. She's confused. Like, what is going on? What, what am I... And when you're confused, you feel, I don't know how it is for you, but I feel incompetent when I feel confused. Like, oh man, I, I don't know how to do the thing. I, I, um, I feel this way when we play board games in my family, especially if we play ones that I'm not good at. Like for me, um, I, always, I always tell my kids, you know, the only thing that matters is that we have fun. And the way that we have fun is by winning. And so it's a value I want to pass on to my kids. Uh, you, should see, you should see me at the Little League games. Uh, I'm that dad. So, um, so, so I, you know, I want to I be competitive and, and all that. And sometimes we'll play a game that I'm just not good at. And it's confusing to me and I have no skill for it. And the confusion um, in, in, in all of that, I feel incompetent. And, and I just hate it. And I got to think Mary's feeling a piece of that of like, can I do this? I don't know that I'm ready for this kind of responsibility. I mean, there's giving birth, there's the usual stuff that she feels of, of being tired. I mean, giving birth is no small things. But I got to think that even beyond that, she's got these nagging questions of uh, doubting her own competence, questions of confusion, questions like, 
is this really God doing this? Um, why did he pick me of all the people he could have picked? Why is he doing this now? Um, she probably dealt with some feelings of unworthiness. Can you relate to that? Like you have confusion about God, about God's plan, about where you're, where you're at in the world right now. Um, I, I certainly can relate to that. Um, I, I think uh, we often get confused and we have our doubts about things, especially when it comes to God. Things like, uh, how does God allow, why would God allow me to suffer? Why is he doing that if he loves me? If God loves me, how come he's allowing bad things to happen to me? Or why is God allowing bad things to happen to my good friend? Um, why is God allowing these things inside of me that I don't feel like I can change? Why does God allow my job to be eliminated so I'm unemployed? Why does God, I mean, how does God love me if, if this relationship that I was just in ended so badly? Where is God if I have all these doubts and there's no good answers? Um, maybe you feel confused. And, and, and I get that. And I think you can join Mary in this story because I, I think she probably had a lot of those questions as well. But I want to talk about one more person in the story. Obviously, the, the, the centerpiece of the nativity, the, the, the star of the show, sweet little baby Jesus, um, who comes with manger attached on this one. I can't get him off of. But um, Jesus uh, shows up to all of these people in, 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 in this world and uh, kind of changes the game for, for everybody. You see, uh, we've been talking all this month at, at the church, and we've been talking about that, that Christmas is Jesus' birthday. So the idea is, well, what are you going to give Jesus for his birthday? And so we, we talk about ways to spend less on, on, on material things and give more. And so we've been raising money this month to, um, to try to pay off medical debt for people in the Mid-Atlantic and around the country. Um, and so we're, we're in the process of doing that. People have been giving generously to that so that we can pool our resources and pay off medical debt. And it's a cool thing. We feel like that is something we can give to Jesus for, for Christmas, for his birthday. We can give this gift of loving people well and, and, and helping people who are in need. Um, and so we talk a lot about that, but let me turn that around a minute. Rather than what can we give to Jesus, um, I want to talk about what God at Christmas has actually um, given to us. Jesus showing up was God's gift to us. I mean, think about it. If you're God and you look down on the world, you know how, you know how it's sometimes it's hard to find the right gift for somebody who's really picky? Imagine then trying to find the right gift for a whole group of people. You probably know this, like your aunt comes over and she makes the same gift and gives it to everybody, right? Have you ever had that, that experience? Like, oh, I got this thing and now everyone gets one. That's cool, except it only works for some people and not necessarily for other people. Now imagine your God looking down on the world and going, what do they need? What could I do? What gift could I give to the world? You've got to give something that kind of hits where everybody, everybody's at. Um, what, what kind of gift could you give as God to people um, that would actually help? And what he gives us is his presence. He shows up here. He walks on our soil. He, he comes here. And that gift of, of him, Jesus, um, is everything we never knew we always wanted. It, 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 is the, it is the thing. You see, if you're an outcast, 
like the shepherds, Jesus identifies with you. Jesus is born in a poor situation. Uh, Jesus grows up with parents in poverty. Um, Jesus is going to be an outcast in a lot of parts of his life and eventually will be, will be crucified, at, at being an outcast from society, being treated like a criminal. Um, Jesus identifies with the outcasts. Uh, even in the way he teaches, when Jesus taught, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. Jesus doesn't come along and say, blessed are the rich, blessed are the awesome. They already think they're awesome. They already think they have it together. He's saying, no, I'm identifying with, and I have a heart for, and God has a heart for the needy, the struggling, the hurt. And so Jesus identifies with the outcast, and as him showing up, he is a gift to people who feel like outcasts. For people who are seekers, Jesus shows up as a real concrete person at the end of all our seeking. If we're all looking for someone who's looking for us, Jesus shows up and is like, I, I am who you're looking for. The ultimate quest of your life, I'm here. And, and he shows up to be the one we're, we're, we're seeking. Um, historically, people have believed in God's or a higher power or something. And maybe you're there right now. You're like, I think there's something out there. I don't know what it is. But the problem is, that's not helpful. Knowing there's a higher power, knowing the universe has its vibes or whatever, like knowing that there's gods or some power out there, some vague force, that's not helpful to us. I don't know what to do with that. I, I don't relate to it. And so God shows up actually as a person. And at the end of our seeking, at the, at the end of the rainbow, there's actually a person there. There's something real that, we're, that when we seek, there's someone there who's ready to be found in, in Jesus. Um, and, that, and that helps us when we're seekers. If we feel trapped, Jesus offers freedom. Um, we, we believe we are free people. Rousseau said it this way, man is born free, but everywhere is in chains. Even though we consider ourselves free people, we get stuck on and trapped and addicted to things. And the things we think that we own, they end up owning us. And you know what that's like, even if you don't have a classic addiction, you know what it's like to keep having to go back to some things over and over. Um, and, and Jesus actually offers freedom. And the way he does it is he offers us a way of seeing the world that actually aligns with reality. Real quick, let me tell you this. I think uh, the best way you can live, okay, the best way you can live is to live in alignment with the way the world actually is. The more you live in accordance with reality, the better it is for you. So for example, an obvious example is um, gravity exists. You should plan accordingly, right? I'm not going to jump off this stage because I know how it ends. I'm going to live as if gravity is a thing. Otherwise, I'd take whatever step I want, right? Like, and it will end badly for me. When we live according with reality, it, it goes well for us. And that's not just true of gravity. That is true of what Jesus teaches us about money, about relationships, about love, about gender, about all these things. He promises us that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. There's actually liberation that comes for us from Jesus when we, when we understand reality and, and we learn what he has taught. So for trapped, Jesus offers freedom. And then finally, if we're confused, Jesus comes to earth and cleans that up for us. You know, um, we all have doubts. We all have questions. And God could come to earth and play whack-a-mole with every one of your doubts and questions. You could say, but what about this? And God could say, all right, here's that answer. Okay, God, but can you explain this? And God would say, all right, here's that answer. And, and do that over and over. The problem with that is 
God doesn't want to be the answer man. God wants to be in a relationship with us, with us as his children, he is as our father, a loving relationship. And if all God did was just answer every one of your questions every time you asked one, you would just relate to him like he's the answer man. It's not a real relationship. You would actually love God, not for who he is, but just because he gives you answers when you want them. It would become very transactional. So I think God doesn't do that for us. He doesn't give us every answer to every doubt that we have. Instead, he shows up as a person and lets us know that there's something real at the end of all of our questions and doubts. There's, there's, there's a person there, not, a, not a, just a book of answers or something like that. Uh, Jesus shows up and says, I'm here um, and, and, I, and I can teach you the way. And even if I don't like all the answers that I get from God, I can still trust him because of how he showed up as a person. And I know that God is actually engaged in the world. He was the perfect gift. Pastor John Tyson says it this way, being present is a rare and profound form of love. What God gives us at Christmas is presence. He shows up and actually is with us, and that is a rare and profound form of love. If you're going to show someone you love them, you have to show up. There's a guy in our church, uh, many of you may not know him, a lot of times on Sundays when he's here, he kind of sits over there, and his name's Gordy, and uh, Gordy's a, a good dude. Um, I've known him for almost 20 years now, before even our church started, I knew him down in Virginia Beach, and um, Gordy uh, keeps himself quite a bit, uh, he's kind of a quiet guy, and uh, he, he did our fantasy football league a few years ago. Well, uh, the end of November, he got COVID, and he went into the hospital, um, and it, it, it has gone badly. And um, so I, I, I heard about it, and um, he started texting me, and, okay, this is what's going on. And it kind of becomes pneumonia and things like that. And so he's been uh, very sick, and he's like, it's very hard to breathe. And so he's been texting me some questions, and we've been talking back and forth. And um, I wanted to go see him because uh, it's different than texting, and it's hard for him to talk. And I wanted to just go hang out with him and pray for him. And I can pray for him from a distance, which I do, and other people here are praying for him. But it's different when you show up, isn't it? It's different. I was with him in that hospital when his wife died years ago. And there's something about being there with someone in the moment that it matters. And so I called the nurse that was overseeing him, and I said, will you please let me come see him? And she said, no. And I was like, I, I tried every, I pulled the pastor card. Like I got, I'll wear, I'll put on a, like a clergy shirt or whatever. Like I don't even own one, but I will go get one. Like you gotta let me come see him. And she's like, we can't. And she went through the, the rules and the regulations and all that. Um, so uh, it's frustrating because it's different when you're there. It's different when you can be by someone's side. And some of you, especially with COVID, know what that's been like too, to see people struggle and you're not able to be there with them. Why does that hurt so much? Because we all know presence matters. It matters when you show up. It matters when you're there. And this is what Jesus offers us. We needed, we needed that in 5 B.C., we needed God to show up in the world. 
And I think 2,000 years later, we still, we still need that. So we're going to celebrate with just the time we have left, with a few minutes. We're going to sing. And then we're going to wrap up. We're going to do some, uh, some lights in here and some fun stuff. Um, I, I want to encourage you to sing with us. Um, let me pray. And then, actually, let's stand together. And we'll sing together. And uh, let, me, let me pray. And then we're going to sing some worship songs together to kind of close out our time. And, uh, and that, that'll, be, that'll be good. Um, and it'll be a good way to celebrate King Jesus um, and, 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 and his birth. Let's pray. God, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for what you're doing here. Um, and, and God, this is a world that still needs it, still needs um, hope and still needs uh, the love and the joy that we see from Jesus that is still in need today. So God, as we sing, we lift our voices to you. Um, I pray that uh, we raise them and, uh, and, and honor you with, with, our, with our song and with our words. In Jesus' name, amen.